You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery. Today, we're going to get right at it. This doesn't need to be a long one because this is going to be pretty short. We're going to discuss recognize, evaluate, and correct the REC pattern. I discussed this slightly yesterday's episode, opposite of addiction is connection, that we want to be able to recognize, evaluate, and correct um, our thoughts, our feelings, our actions, our results. And a lot of this circles back to CT far of concept. Uh, let's see, we've got circumstances, thoughts, feelings, actions, results, and it creates this loop. It was introduced to me by the host of the life coaching school, Brooke Castillo. When I started listening to her years ago, when I first got sober, I joined uh, her coaching program for a year and learned a ton from that and still use it to this day. And she herself actually gives credit to Byron Katie for introducing her to this idea that. Um, our thoughts and our feelings create our actions and how this all creates this feedback loop that we're living in. And so one of the coolest things to take from our self-awareness that we begin to grow as we get into our sobriety and recovery is this idea that when we are self-aware, then we can not only notice what it is that we're doing, but we can start to recognize the motivations behind what it is that we're doing. And it's within this recognition of the, mo- of the root cause of the motivation that we really can begin to heal the suffering, the trauma, the traumatic moment that may have begun to lay the foundation for this behavior that we then started stacking other behaviors on top of, understanding what the gestalt is, what, what is that deep-seated emotional traumatic moment, what is the deep-seated emotional feeling that we then started connecting all these other feelings and situations to, you know, I could have been uh, left at school when I was in, you know, when I was six years old because mom showed up late and I was sitting outside waiting for her for two hours. And I thought, that's it. Mom doesn't love me. And then my brain started looking for other ways that it proved that mom doesn't love me. And anything from a side eye to lunch showing up late could have just stacked on top of that. In reality, she was at the doctor's office and she was just getting herself checked out, which she was doing because she did love us so much and it just went late. But a little kid doesn't realize this and even when told this doesn't necessarily change his thinking because he's six years old and emotions fuel us at that age. Turns out they fuel us most of our lives. So then you start to take these little things that happen to you as a child and they just start to stack and stack and stack. And now here we are in our 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, still living off of these things that happened to us 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. So as we grow and we begin to heal these gestalts, these emotional challenges from our childhood, these emotionally traumatic memories and events and all of these things that when combined create the behavior that we have anchored ourselves into now, that level of self-awareness that comes from being able to recognize the behavior that led us down a path that we no longer want to go down. It could be the feelings of loneliness and alone or anger or resentment. Being able to recognize like, hey, I feel angry right now. Or hey, I feel really alone. Or I feel jubilation or elation. 
Because we can often want to label something as anger when it could be furiosity, or it could be rejection, or it could be shame. But it just ends up manifesting as anger because that's just the easiest of one of the of all the emotions to show. Anger, fear, shame, guilt, sadness, jealousy. These are some of the easier ones the human mind will fold itself back into for lack of understanding the depth of which feelings and emotions can be felt and then how they can be basically displayed to the outer world. I've got this feelings wheel that I hang next to the chair I coach in specifically. So when somebody's like, well, I felt angry, I can say, well, are there other variations of anger that maybe would would help us more align with what it is you felt so that we can begin to really heal the area where this issue is being placed. And when we go to recognize, evaluate, and correct, it is within the recognition that we want to be as specific as possible. Well, I yelled at my spouse because they did this, is certainly recognizing what they did and what you did, but are we really recognizing the root cause of why we began to yell? If we're seeking to change from yelling to calmly talking, then we may have recognized the yelling, but are we recognizing other areas in our life where we didn't yell when something very similar happened? And why did we choose not yelling then, but yelling this time? And that's where we get into the evaluation. Because it's one thing to recognize that you threw four interceptions in a football game. It's another thing to evaluate potential reasons why. Was it because the defense moved or shifted? Or was it because you simply just weren't paying attention at the time and you were daydreaming about cheeseburgers? And I get that I use football analogies and not all of you are uh, down with the football, but it's simple as knowing that if you messed up four times, was it because somebody did something that you weren't expecting that caused the error in your ways? Or was it because your mind was off doing something else instead of being focused in the moment at the task at hand? When we can recognize and evaluate why we're doing the things that we're doing, this gives us opportunities for correction. Now, are these corrections just good for us? Potentially. Are they good for other people? Maybe. This is what we call ecology in neurolinguistic programming, where we check the changes we desire to make based off of, are they good for us? Are they good for those that we love, the ones who are most closest to us? And are they good in general for the world around us? Now, if you are an oil tycoon drilling you know, in somewhere that's environmentally fragile, then certainly making the decision to dump the sludge into the river might benefit you in your bottom line, but it's definitely not going to help the people in the community. And your bottom line increasing might make your family happy, but if they found out that you were poisoning little baby seals, would they then be happy? So some decisions are so big and would cover such a wide area as this random one I pulled up, dumping oil into a river. Yeah, we can say, that's not a good idea. Let's not do that thing. But when it comes to deciding to go work out, when it comes to deciding to eat healthier, when, you decide, when it comes to deciding you're going to go to 30 meetings in 30 days, when it comes to deciding that you're no longer going to drink alcohol, therefore you're not going to be able to spend as much time with your family and friends because that's what they want to do, it might be ecologically good for you. But if you're not prepared for the pushback from other people, 
if you're not going to be prepared for the kickback from your own unconscious mind that doesn't want to upset the apple cart, doesn't want to feel isolated and alone, so it's going to want to stick with the people and keep doing the same things. Like If you aren't aware that this stuff is happening, then what you end up doing is making decisions, not fully understanding the repercussions of those actions. This is part of the evaluations process because we do want to correct the things that are leading us down a path that are no longer serving us, right? If you go to the bar and you're on day five of sobriety and you're like, I can figure this out, you know, then you go and you end up drinking. So now you're back home and you're like, okay, what, let's recognize what happened. I was frustrated from work. I chose to go to happy hour and told myself I could not drink, but it had only been day five. Hadn't completely broken through all of my old pattern loops. So when I look back at the moment that somebody offered me a drink, I can evaluate that I had put myself in a very fragile position, uh, was being offered a drink by someone whom I've accepted one from many, many times before. So naturally my brain said, sure, you know what? I'm only at day five. I'll figure it out later. So then we can seek to correct the behavior. In the future, if we're upset after a hard day at work, we could recognize that we might be prone to the drinking. So maybe now I will just get in my car and I'll just drive home or I'll go straight to the gym or I'll go to a park and I'll walk around in circles for five hours and get 10,000 steps, whatever it might be. It's the opportunity to say, well, what corrections would I like to make in order to achieve this new outcome? The beautiful thing about the recognize and evaluate and correct process is that it gives us a chance to understand the processes we go through that give us the results that we have. It could be like me choosing to go on TikTok and post 10 videos a day to talk about my podcast, to drum up more listenership, to let people know that I do one-on-one coaching and that I do group coaching or that I teach an LP. So sure, that is an option Is it necessarily going to give me the results that I want it to? I can create all the content in the world, but I have no control over who watches it, how it's going to be received, how people might reach out to me, when they might reach out to me. I can create all the channels in the world for any one of y'all to come out and find me, but it doesn't mean that you will. So as soon as I do something, I'm really releasing a lot of control of the outcome to other variables I have no control over. So as we recognize, evaluate, and correct these areas of our lives that we seek change in, we want to be very mindful of what we actually have control over. You could recognize that you yell at your spouse or your kids, evaluate ways to no longer yell at them, and instead create a space between so that you have more time to respond rather than react. But it doesn't mean that the other person is going to change their behavior to help calm you down. It doesn't mean that the other person is not going to think that your new calm demeanor during arguments isn't condescending or rude or whatever because they're used to one version of you or they're used to one version of solving problems that was instilled into them years and years and years ago. You have no control over how that information is going to be received by the listener. You simply speak your truth, you say what you want to say, and you certainly hope that it goes in the preferred direction, but you don't know that it will. You have no no way of fully knowing 
if it's going to go down that path. And even if that person says positive things to you, you don't really know what they're creating in their mind around your behavior, what stories they're telling themselves about your motivations to change your behavior, to do these new things. How many of us have been absolutely telling other people the truth and still called liars because our past behavior was to lie? How many people have been in a relationship where some trust has been broken and you try to tell the person, look, I'm all in, won't do it anymore, but they're still running it through the filter of, well, you did it once before. Well, what, what, what happens if next time you get mad at me and you break up with me? What about this? And what about that? And what about this? We've all said that we forgive people. And in reality, we didn't really forgive them. We're using words that say forgiveness, but where our behaviors and our actions and our thoughts are not those of forgiveness. When we go to recognize and then evaluate, then correct, it is of the utmost important that we realize that we really recognize within ourselves what we have control over. And then seek to behave in a way that allows you to love yourself based off of what you're hoping will come from it. And we already know expectations are the leading cause of disappointment. So you can only really ask yourself to behave, to talk, to think, to feel, to act in a certain way. Those results, and there's so many variables that could change the way that those results actually play out in your life that you don't really want to put a whole lot of weight on the result as much as it's the process you went through to begin to achieve different results. I could create ebooks. I could write another book. I could go speak on stages. I could, you know, write my name in the clouds above every major city with airplanes that, you know, do that little air writing thing with the smoke. Maybe that does something great for the show. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe you do things just as dramatic and it doesn't get you the results you want. But then you recognize, you evaluate, and you correct based on what it is you can do. That's the process we're talking about here. What leads you to a betterment of yourself? You may not necessarily release weight today by busting your ass in the gym or going out and walking 10,000 steps or running a mile. It may not give you the result you desire today, but the actions when stacked upon one another creates consistency. This consistency will increase your self-esteem. This increased self-esteem will help motivate you to do it more and more and more often. Then next thing you know, you've already got the discipline in place. And you begin to just notice that your whole life is getting better. And all you may have changed was just, I went from drinking no water to drinking half a gallon of water a day. It's the smallest little things that when shifted create the greatest results. Because it's in the small things that our brain's like, oh, I can replicate this. And if I can replicate this, then I can begin to measure the results I get from it. And it's within the measuring of creating statistics and data that say, oh, this is working. Let's do this more often. And next thing you know, you've created a habit. It's like the 30 meetings in 30 days. It's like calling your sponsor when things are going well. The whole point of doing that is to get you comfortable with calling your sponsor on a daily basis. So when things are going bad and you're finding yourself wanting to turn left into the bar instead of right to the gym, that you call your sponsor. Going to the 30 meetings in 30 days is to get you in a habit of going to a different place to get sobriety and recovery support rather than going to your same old places and getting your addiction supported. It's just meant to reprogram the brain, to give you different processes to achieve different results 
realizing that the results are so far out of our control that it's us. We are what we're seeking to control. Our time, our energy, our money, our resources. But most importantly, we want to control the way that we look and talk to each other in our own minds. When you are able to recognize the behavior that's no longer serving you, evaluate the core root of why you're behaving that way, and then go about making corrections to it, it's like you become this Zen master of your own life. You don't have to sit on top of a mountain and be silent for 20 years to achieve this. You just simply need to begin to expand your self-awareness around not only what it is that you're doing, but why you're doing it. When are you doing it? Where specifically do you behave this way? What are the variables all around you that could be creating this behavior? Then reverse engineer it. If you're behaving and acting a certain way, what are the feelings tied into that? What are the thoughts you're having? What is the circumstance? What is the environment? What is your skills? What are your capabilities? Who's around you? The people, places, and things will drastically help shift, determine, perhaps even undermine all of the change you're seeking to make in your life. Like the book says that you are a combination of the five people you spend the most time around. No matter how much we try to block out other people's pessimism, no matter how much we try to block out other people's negativity and all the other things that other people will introduce us to, whether on purpose or inadvertently, at some point we begin to mimic and model those behaviors, whether we mean to or not. This is why you call your sponsor every single day, or this is why you go to those meetings, or this is why you read out of one of the books, or this is why you go to church. This is People want to create an environment that fuels them. Recognize, evaluate, and correct. However that works for you, realize that often what you'll recognize right off the bat won't necessarily be the root cause. It won't be the deep down thing that needs to be recognized. It won't be the thing that needs to be evaluated or corrected. The surface level thing, that's just the pattern loop playing out. You want to figure out what the pattern loop is anchored in. You get to that level of self-awareness, that's when shit gets real. All right, my friends, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine and Robert. Glow on. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. 